two readings this morning in Old Testament and New Testament. First, Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Last Sunday evening, we considered faith, true faith, and what saving faith is. And so before we dive into a a new study in the new year, I thought we'd take a couple of extra services and think about the other accompanying virtues of the Christian life, hope and love. So this morning we consider Christian hope. And we'll read Psalm 146 and then a passage from 1 Peter chapter 1. This is God's holy word. He gives it to us for our good. It is living and active It is our final authority in faith and in life. Please give your attention to its reading. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord, who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. And if you would go to the book of 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 13. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 13. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, 
trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned on Wednesday morning when we gathered, had a little bit of an interesting uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in our house and had to, because of sickness, had to sort of cancel all of our Christmas celebrations the next couple of days. And so it uh, felt a little bit strange sitting there Christmas night and uh, my dear bride and I had gotten the kids into bed and things had finally sort of calmed down. And there you are Christmas evening and... It didn't feel like Christmas at all. And you just said, wow, you know, you have to kind of work to keep telling yourself that this was Christmas Day and Christmas 2019 has sort of come and gone and certainly will be one that uh, we'll remember for a long time, but one that didn't necessarily feel uh, all that normal. It was out of joint. It it wasn't quite right. And uh, a Christian who does not have faith, hope, and love would be that way. Something would not be right Faith, hope, and love are the central virtues of the Christian life. It's central to how we are to live the Christian life. And you see faith, hope, and love uh, pop up all of the time, mentioned almost breathlessly by the apostles in the New Testament. Uh, Perhaps you noticed, and maybe you didn't, but they're mentioned in our passage today in, in ways that maybe you wouldn't notice unless you're looking for all three paired together. Peter says we are, of course, born again to a living hope. And hope is central to the letters of Peter. He's often called the apostle of hope. He says we're born again to a living hope. He says we are being guarded through faith. And then he says, though we have not seen Jesus, we love him. Faith and hope and love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says, uh, weaves them together in a similar way. He says, we remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, often woven together in those ways. Hebrews chapter 6 does the same thing. Paul does the same thing later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. They're described as three divine sisters, uh, beautifully dancing together in this dance of the Christian life, faith and hope and love, working together beautifully and wonderfully. There will come a time, however, when faith and hope will exit the stage and love will occupy that central place between God and his people when he remakes all things and he brings us into our eternal blessedness. But until that day, both faith and And hope are that which give energy to our love. And there's this mutuality between these three virtues. And because of that, we are called, as biblical Christians, to cultivate the grace of hope. To cultivate the virtue of hope in our lives. And that is what we aim to do today. Uh, Really, basically what it comes down to is we diligently seek to stir up the grace of God in us. We know that all of these things come by the power of God. Nevertheless, uh, we give ourselves to the practice of these things. We seek them diligently that he might develop and grow in us 
that which is pleasing to him. He wants his people to have a steadfastness of hope. So let's trust in him as we seek these things today. First, uh, if we want to learn about Christian hope, we need to see the ways in which Christian hope is distinguished from uh, just sort of normal everyday hope. When people speak of hope, not speaking of Christian hope, what are they basically talking about? They're basically talking about optimism and optimistic outlook. I hope my favorite Chicago sports team will have a good season, right? Not much hope recently in recent years. Not much hope for that, right? Just being optimistic, maybe not much reason to. I hope the questions on the test this morning will all be things that I studied last night, right? Just trying to, trying to have a good outlook and be optimistic about it. I hope that our December or January wedding will not have 12 inches of snow fall on the day that it occurs. We're hoping for that for the not wedding coming up in a couple weeks. Michelle and I were married on December 20th. There was about 10 inches of snow that fell that day. And uh, it, was, it made for an interesting day. We'll just say that. But we can hope and have an optimistic outlook to all of these things. That's just normal hope. That's optimism. And that needs to be distinguished from Christian hope. But what is general optimism as it relates to God? What are the ways in which a a, a sort of an earthbound or a worldly hope, what are the ways in which uh, that would be expressed in relation to God, right? Well, people in many ways have to come to some understanding or some general belief about what they think will happen when this life comes to an end. And so people will place an optimism in many things. They may place hope in a false God, a God that is not represented by Scripture. There have been sociological studies that have shown there are these underlying connecting principles that people will generally affirm in our society when it comes to God. And sociologists have called this moralistic therapeutic deism, that there is this kind of false religion that tends to pop up in all kinds of people, all kinds of mentalities, when they're asked about, what do you think happens ultimately? Who is God? What does he do? What will he do when uh, you leave this world? There are five principles of moralistic therapeutic deism. The first is this. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Secondly, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Third, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Fourth, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. God stays disconnected unless we really need him, and then we go to him and he helps resolve the problem. Five, good people go to heaven when they die. That's really uh, a a common theme when people are asked about God, particularly in Western cultures, in post-Christian cultures. Yeah, there's a God not really involved uh, in our lives. He wants us to be good, nice, and fair. And if you're generally a good person, you will go to heaven when you die. People place hope. They place optimism in this. It's not Christian hope but they place an optimism in these things. Some people may place hope or optimism in their own self-produced righteousness. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Or, at least, I'm better than most people around me. 
Oftentimes when we think about our own self-produced righteousness, we only can think about ourselves as righteous as we consider the people around us. I'm, I'm better than most people in my life. Some people may place hope, optimism, in their suffering. They may say, well, I've had a really rough go in this life. And so I'm pretty confident that God's going to turn things around for me when I leave this world. One Puritan pastor puts it this way in a way that will uh, certainly grade against our modern sensibilities. He says, a life as long as Methuselah, spent in all the destitution and disease of Job upon his dunghill, would be no atonement for sin and afford no ground to depend upon for salvation. We can't put hope in suffering. It's not going to get us where we want to go. Some people place hope in church going. Well, I go to church. And, you know, I only go every once in a while, but it makes me feel good. I generally agree with most of the things that are going on. And I think that because of that, uh, God will look with favor upon me. And I go and I sit in the pew every once in a while. That's a false hope. We uh, could probably express it as the difference between uh, resting, uh, having a hope that you are a baptized person vis-a-vis improving your baptism. Our Reformed Confessions talk about improving our baptism as a lifelong practice. That each and every day we trust God to grow in us the blessings and the graces of our baptism. That we more and more come to understand that in Christ our sins are forgiven. That we more and more come to understand that by the power of the Holy Spirit we are to mortify sin and quicken grace in our lives. That we are to have our conversation about righteousness and holiness. That we are to diligently seek the Lord. Some people place their hope in knowing all the right answers. Well, I generally know the the, the right answers when people ask me about the scriptures, so I'll be fine. Some people place optimism or false hope in their good fortune. Uh, It's sort of the opposite of the people who suffer a lot in this life. They say, well, God must really like me because things have gone really well for me in this world and in this life. Therefore, I know that God's not going to stop loving me after this life. And how foolish such a mentality would be, would be. This is the kinds of hope that are produced by people who don't have a hope rooted and anchored in Scripture. So what is Christian hope? What is Christian hope? And I believe that developing and stirring up the grace of hope in our lives is so important because we are a stunted culture when it comes to Christian hope. And particularly the church in our age. We have a stunted hope. It's not a well-developed hope. We, we don't spend enough time thinking about all that God has given to us and promised us in Christ. So here is a definition of Christian hope. Christian hope is a spirit-given virtue that enables us to joyfully expect things promised by God through Jesus Christ. Christian hope is a spirit-given virtue That enables us to joyfully expect things promised by God through Christ. We'll unpack that uh, for the rest of our time this morning. First, it's a spirit-given virtue. It's spirit-given. In other words, it's something supernatural. 
Christian hope is not something that we produce on our own. It's not something that we have naturally with us when we are born. It's something that the Spirit of God gives. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says it is the product of the new birth. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has given us a new birth. Now in the New Testament, the new birth basically has two meanings. A narrow meaning and a wide meaning. The narrow meaning is the beginning of our life in Christ. When God grants us faith in Christ through the gospel. We understand our need for a savior. We understand that Jesus Christ is our only savior. Only possibility for salvation. And we trust in his work. When God grants faith by his sovereign grace. That is described as the new birth. But then there's a wider meaning to the new birth. And that's basically the expansion of that first principle. That is, there is a beginning of our life in Christ, but we are born into a new life to live this wonderfully new spirit-enabled life. It opens up all of these possibilities and all of these responsibilities that we are to live out our life in Christ. Great Dutch theologian Gerhardus Voss says this, As the gospel breaks upon our vision, our life is revolutionized at every point. Our life changes. When we come to understand the glory of Christ, it changes us in every way. Our life is revolutionized. And one way our life is revolutionized would be by the virtue of hope. We would go from sort of a, an earthly, earthly defined optimism towards things, a forward-looking attitude to saying, well, I, I can hope that, that things will be okay with God when I die. It goes from that to a spirit-enabled confidence in Christ. It revolutionizes our hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says it is through the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, our hope is not enslaved to death. It goes beyond the grave. Do you believe in that foundational tenet of the resurrection of Christ? You can't be a Christian and reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bodily resurrection. And the promise that because Christ has been raised, we too will be raised. We will enjoy bodies that are fit for eternity. Bodies that dwell in perfect righteousness and communion with God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that our inheritance will never perish or spoil or fade. Do we have confidence in that? It says that this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. In short, Christian hope is founded upon firmly believing the reality of all that God has promised to us in Jesus Christ. We don't know how all the pieces of the puzzle are going to fit together. We don't know exactly how the eternal state is going to be. But we have confidence in all that God has revealed to us about it. Because we say it is from him. And it's from his word, and it's not from us. Anyone who has spent a lot of time around young children know that they're always looking towards the next stage in life. Even older children, teenagers, right? You want to get to the next stage in life. Sophia was excited about preschool, now she's excited about the next step. When she gets to elementary school, she'll be excited about middle school. You know how it happens. Then you're excited about the driver's license, then college. Then starting your career. As adults, you know, we we always want to kind of pump the brakes for them a little bit and say, hey, it's not as good up here as you think it is. Just savor being a child and enjoy it 
for a little bit. Human beings are forward-looking in that way, though. We can't help but look forward because we think that there's going to be this improvement of things as life goes on. But for the Christian, there is a sense in which that is not only true, but it's the kind of mentality we are to have. We are to long for the next state of things. We are to long to come into our eternal blessedness. We are to long to know Christ and to see him face to face. Once again, Voss says this, the future belongs to us and we belong to the future. The Christian is a man, according to Peter, who lives with his heavenly destiny ever in full view. Having hope is, really comes down to having heavenly mindedness. Do you have a heavenly mindedness with your life? And with all that happens to you, are, your, are you bringing your attention to what God has promised to you in Christ? So it's a spirit-enabled virtue that enables something. It enables something. So what does it mean that our hope enables us to have confidence? Well, it means that our hope is living. That's what 1 Peter says, doesn't it? We have a living hope. In the letter of 1 Peter, there are two other places where he calls things living. He says that God's word is living and abiding. And he calls us as members of God's people, members of the temple, living stones. So what does he mean in those two other instances? Well, we kind of know what that means, don't we? To say that God's word is living and abiding means that it is not a dead word. It means that it comes to us and it cuts through all that we are. It shapes and it forms us. It's not like sitting down and reading a novel, as wonderful as that can be. Reading God's word and hearing God's word involves us in this process that God is shaping and forming and molding his people. It does things. It's living We are living stones in God's temple because we're not like cinder blocks that just sit there forever and possibly deteriorate. No, we're living stones that grow up into a better part of what God is building and doing. So with that in mind, what does it mean that we have a living hope? It means it is an active part of our life. It is an active force in our life. Our hope, given by God, works together with our faith and it strengthens our faith. And vice versa. Hope strengthens faith. Faith strengthens hope. And they both strengthen our love. Because we have faith in God's promises, because we believe in God's promises, we are able to have hope that cuts against the grain of the hopes of this world. What does it say about Abraham in the New Testament? He hoped against hope. What does that mean? Well, all of the conventional wisdom of the day would have told him that there's no way that he and Sarah were to have a son, would have a son, and that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. But what did he do? He had faith in God's promises. He had faith in what God had told him. And because of that, he had hope. He had hope that God would bring to fruition all that he had said. It was a confidence. The same goes true for us. We who have faith... We have been promised eternal life. We have been promised a resurrection life. And because of that faith, we are given hope. And when our faith is wavering, our hope helps to strengthen our faith. That is what it means that our hope is an active part of our life. It is doing something in us. It enables us to joyfully expect 
we joyfully expect all that God has promised to us. If Christian hope is given by the Spirit of God, it will be joyful. What is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Joy. If it comes from God, it will be a hope that gives us joy. This is exactly what Peter says. You rejoice exceedingly. You have great joy because of your hope. It comes from God, thus it will have joy. It's sad to say that Christianity in many ways has grown cold in us, particularly in a culture that has the markings of even the relics of Christianity. It is regarded as a relic of the past, and for that reason, oftentimes, our Christianity and our faith grows cold in us. For that reason, uh, we need to bring our minds to hope. Why? Because this world is uncertain. And so we need to remind ourselves to set our hope fully or perfectly on what we have been promised. So Peter says, set your hope perfectly on what will be revealed to you in the day of Christ. We joyfully expect the things that God promises. So it's a spirit-enabled virtue that allows us to joyfully expect the things that God has promised. And that is no small point here. A small God will beget small hope. A small God will beget small hope. But when we allow our view of God, our beliefs about God to be shaped by Scripture, then it will be no small thing that our hope is in Him. That's why we read Psalm 146. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Don't trust in princes. Don't trust in mortal men who cannot save. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. He's just another man. Don't settle for a God who is an idol. Don't settle for a God who is a nothing. Don't settle for a God who is merely a man. What you want is the God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. The one who executes justice for the oppressed. The one who can give food to the hungry. The one who sets the prisoners free. The one who opens the sight of the blind. In our world, we worship all kinds of nothings. People give themselves to the worship of all kinds of idols, which are nothings. We are to worship the God who is able to make good on every promise in every way. A God who is sovereign. A God who is good. A God who is unchanging. When we allow our belief about who God is to be shaped by Scripture, there is one possible response, and that is joyful submission. In other words, we say, I realize that God is bigger than I am. I realize that he is beauty and power. He's not cuteness and passivity. He is a God who is infinite in his majesty, and all I can do is joyfully submit to him. And joyfully submit to his will. Realizing that God is far beyond our best thoughts of him does not create restlessness. It creates peace. We live in a world that is filled with deaths of despair. People searching for answers. People searching for purpose and meaning. And they can't find it in a world that has, is abundant with all kinds of comforts. All kinds of blessings. And yet purpose evades us. And we see these deaths of despair happening again and again and again. Suicide and overdose. Things like this. Why? 
Because when you cannot find a God who is bigger than you can fathom, you will be restless. But when your God is infinitely bigger than you could ever imagine, it creates peace because you joyfully submit to him. And so with that in mind, Peter moves to talk about trials. Trials. What we need is to have hope in the midst of trials as we realize that they come from a big God, from a sovereign God. When you worship a God to whom you can joyfully submit, to whom that is your only response, a joyful submission, it changes your perspective on your trials. He fashioned your trials for you. They are yours. He doesn't just dump them on the world indiscriminately. Each and everything that comes into your life that is a trial is fashioned by God exactly for you. And he knows exactly what you need, better than you know what you need. When we realize that we can do nothing but joyfully submit, we realize that he is wiser than us when he brings trials our way. If we were sovereign, if we were God, if we fashioned all of the details of our lives, none of us, I think it's safe to say, none of us would choose and design the trials through which we have gone. Think about what's going on in your life right now. Think about the number one trial in your life right now. If you were sovereign, would you have chosen that for yourself? I think it's safe to say most of us would say, no way. I never would have brought that into my life if I were the one who was choosing. But God is infinitely wise. He is infinitely powerful. He knows exactly what we need. And so as his people, what do we do? We joyfully submit to what he brings into our life because these are our trials. And ultimately, what is he doing? He's, he's trying to grow our faith And our hope in him. And he's not trying, he's succeeding. Because what God wants, he gets. But insofar as he brings trials our way, he is reminding us and training us to know that there is something to look forward to. If everything in your life was perfect, if there was never anything that caused you to look forward to eternity, then you wouldn't do it. If there was never a reminder in your life that you need to place your hope in all that God promises to you in Christ, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be filled with heavenly mindedness unless you were reminded that this world is not all that we have. And so it's a spirit-enabled virtue that enables us to trust in all that God has promised us, a big God, a sovereign God. And then lastly, it's what he has promised to us in Christ, in Christ. The great center of our hope is that we behold Christ now by faith, but one day we will see him face to face. Christian hope basically comes down to this. One day you will meet Jesus face to face. If I ever need to uh, weep uncontrollably in my study, all I need to do is pull up one of those videos online that has someone like meeting the person that, from whom they received like a kidney or a bone marrow transplant. Right? They, they were in some database. It was somebody they didn't know. They get a call. Hey, someone's life is hanging in the balance. You're a match for them. Will you donate to them? Yes, I will. Their life is saved. Years later, they meet face to face. And the person whose life was preserved, who was saved, then is, is so excited because this is someone uh, who intervened in their life. And if it were not for them, they probably would not have made it. 
And so you see these two people unite, and the emotion just washes over you. What a beautiful picture. How much more, brothers and sisters, ought we desire to meet the one who is our Savior? How much more, brothers and sisters, ought we long to see Christ? Isaiah 33, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. One Puritan pastor says, I have little of him, little of him, yet I long for more. God hath made many fair flowers, the fairest of them all is heaven. The flower of all flowers is Christ. To see and to behold Jesus Christ face to face, our faith will become sight. It will be joy unspeakable. It will be a satisfaction that could come by nothing else other than beholding him face to face. Christian hope also then comes with this solemn duty to purify ourselves as we await our blessed hope. Now we've been made pure in Christ. All our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. We have been perfectly uh, made righteous in the sight of God. And nevertheless, we read this in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Second Peter chapter 3 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We are to be diligent to bring out the work of God in us and to stir up the grace of God in us that his work might be perfected in us. We stand before God perfectly righteous and that will never change. And yet he is renewing his image in us. And one of the ways he does that, one of the ways that he makes us more diligent to seek him is by creating in us and cultivating in us Christian hope. Because the thing that we long for the most is to see Jesus Christ face to face. To see him and to be like him. So, believer, are you reading your scripture, and praying? Are you being diligent to stir up God's work in you? Are you expecting God to work through the preached word and his sacraments? Are you seeking to bless God's people and to be blessed by God's people? God is the author and the fountain of all of these works. Nevertheless, he calls us to be diligent in seeking them, in seeking them as he cultivates in us a Christian hope. We continually look back with thankfulness towards what God has done in Christ. And we ought also to continually look forward with confidence and anticipation with what he has promised yet to do. To bring you into the presence of your Savior that you may see him and that you may love him forever. That is Christian hope. May God create it in all of us by the power of his spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and great God, we praise you and thank you. We give you all the glory and we ask that you would be pleased uh, to give us a greater sense of what Christian hope is and to create it in us. That we may have faith and hope and love and give you all the glory for it and live for you out of thankfulness and out of anticipation of what is yet to come in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.